Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host on Circle Talk. Circle Talk is one of the shows featured on CSNP, Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast. CSNP has a lineup of rotating shows throughout each month. Mondays feature Lunatic Mondays with host Laura Gonzalez, and she alternates weeks in English and Spanish. It can't be Tuesday without Circle Talk, and I continue to be the host for this fun show on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Feature none other than Selena Fox with her show, Nature Spirituality. The third Friday of each month features Blue Marble, an eco-educational, eco-restorational, and eco-activism and eco-spirituality podcast. We have such a great lineup and fun um, group of shows, and we hope at CSNP that you try them all. Tonight on Circle Talk, author J. Allen Cross takes us on a journey, a journey of the paranormal, as he shows us how to identify and solve the four main types of hauntings, residual, poltergeist, human earthbound, and human entity. Besides guiding us to the basis of a haunting, we're going to be talking about paranormal investigation, how Bob's witchcraft, medium skills. We are going to have lots of fun tonight. Jay Allen Cross is a practicing witch of Mexican, Native American, and European descent whose craft was shaped by his Catholic upbringing and mixed family culture. Living in his home state of Oregon, he works as a psychic medium and occult specialist for a well-known paranormal in the Portland metro area. When he's not investigating, he enjoys providing spells and potions to his local community, exploring haunted and abandoned places, working as a consultant for other workers and investigators, and, of course, writing about witchcraft, which we're really glad about. For more information, check out his Instagram, and that is Oregon underscore Wood underscore Witch. Let's bring him on and get talk about everything spooky. Welcome, Jay, to Circle Talk. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I loved your book, um, um, in, in Paranormal Investigation and Ghost Hunting, and it's not something I did, but my partner did uh, when he lived in Chicago, so I, I've heard a little bit um, secondhand from him about it. Um, so I was really excited to get your book, and your book is excellent. Um, listeners, his book um, is new. It just was released in September, so Witches, Guides, of Paranormal, and you can get it on Llewellyn.com. So anyway, so it, now this isn't your first book, is it? No, this one's my second. So what was your, tell us about your first book. So my first book was called American Brujeria, and it was a modern Mexican-American folk magic that uh, is kind of practiced these days by Mexican-American people living in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it was a great way to spotlight Mexican-American culture while also teaching something that doesn't often get talked about. Oh, yeah, that is nice. So have you um, – I'm always interested in people's roots. Did you – I know you identify as a witch um, – did, is that something, did you grow up 
in witchcraft, or is it something you developed? How did you get started in this path? Um, this is something that I've been doing since I was really little. I grew up in, uh, I, I call it a magical family. I didn't, I don't come from any sort of like traditions or anything like that, but my mm-hmm. family had um, paranormal leanings. Um, all of us fun? were psychic to some degree. So my mother's an animal communicator. I did mediumship. My grandmother used to um, have visions and she would uh, hear the voice of God, which was a, an interesting quirk of hers. <laughs> She'd just be like, oh, the Lord nice. is telling me to turn left, and she would just turn left. Oh, that's so um, fun. Yeah, so I grew up with, like, a mom that would, you know, read tarot cards for her friends at the dinner table, and, um, you know, there was some minor spell work growing up, and I remember doing my first spells as a kid. So I, my parents had signed me up for T-ball, as they do, mm-hmm. and I hated it. So I found out that if I could make it rain, I wouldn't have to play. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Yeah, so that's where it all kind of began for me. That's really cute. So you kind of grew up in this. So the paranormal and spirits was something that you probably were, had been comfortable with your whole life. Yeah, I mean, it takes a moment to get used to, but it, it, it has kind of grown into – my normal every day, you know. And it's interesting because my partner is also a witch, but um, and something I found, I fell in love with right at the beginning of your book is that I'm sure he kept his faith in, like, paranormal investigation, like two separate things, and you do not. You And talk a little bit about that. You talk um, about witches and the paranormal, and it really made sense to me. Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So witches and the paranormal, it's it's so funny because I feel like we very much belong in paranormal investigation. It just makes sense to have us there because we understand spirits in a way that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to and our ability to, you know, move and direct energy, you know, what are spirits and and hauntings other than energy. So we're able to interact with them on a very visceral plane. Plus, I I always like to say it's kind of like, um, you know, not every rectangle or not every rectangle is a square, but all squares are rectangles or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like all witches are psychic to some extent. So I feel like we um, can add that as well to our repertoire, which also makes us super helpful in paranormal investigation. We act a little bit like translators and ambassadors, so having us around tends to be pretty helpful. Um, but I have found that the par- that the the worlds of paranormal investigation and witchcraft have been really separate for a really mm-hmm. long time, because uh, the the paranormal investigation tends to really pride itself on being very um, well put together, very scientific. You know, and so they tend to kind of shy away from anything that's a little too out there. At the same time, I think witches tend to look down their nose at paranormal investigation a lot of the time. And I began realizing shortly after I started uh, advertising this book that a lot of witches, their only education or interaction with paranormal investigation has been through the television show. And and that ends up being kind of an issue because then they have a very warped sense of of what it is that we're actually doing. And so what I'm I'm hoping to do is kind of 
kind of re-thread us together a little bit and kind of see where our commonalities lie. And, and I think witches really have a lot to offer this group. Yeah, and I really like it because I, I hadn't thought about it. I, I wrote notes when I read your book. It, you know, it says that we work in the rim of vibrations and we speak the language of energy and that's where spirits are. So, but you're right. It's not something that I had ever, I had ever thought about before. Yeah, I'm actually getting that quite a bit. I did have one person too tell me that they're like, you know, I've done both for years and I just never thought about putting them together. And, and so now they are. And it's, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of people are having that moment where they're like, oh, of course, like, <laughs> and then and then combining them if they haven't been already. Or I'm also hoping that if those who have already been combining it might feel a little bit more comfortable now uh, speaking about it or, or exchanging ideas, too, based on it. Absolutely, because as soon as, again, I've read your book and my show's over, I'm going to give my partner so he can read it. Because, again, he's the only person I know who actually um, did some informal investigations Um he wasn't formally tied like you were, but he did those. And uh, um, and I and I had asked him, and he said, you know, I don't think anyone there probably even knew I was pagan. Again, he kept it very, very separate. So yeah, um, so yeah. yeah. So I thought that was really, really, really interesting. So um, so what are some common misconceptions off the bat that people have that you would like to to clear up or or talk about? Like if someone come to you and they say help do, do they just call and say my house is haunted um you know you did a really good job about talking about hauntings understanding the haunting talk to us about that because i learned a lot <laughs> definitely um so like about the different kinds of hauntings or or yeah and just exactly yeah yeah sure so like when i go to somebody's house i kind of the, the process a little bit is I, I first, I have a couple questions for them. Uh, the, the first question I usually ask is, is it okay if I go ever, or I ask them like, is there anywhere in the house that you don't want me to go? Because I'm about to just wander around their home a little bit. So I want to ask. And then of course I always ask them too, do you want to know what I find? Because some people are very curious about what it might be. Other people are absolutely terrified. They don't want to know a thing and they just want it to go away. And so I, I want to check in real quick to make sure. And then from there, really I basically clever. do a psychic. Never, yeah, I would have never thought about that either. That, that Some people don't want to know. They just want it to go away. Yeah, you'd be surprised how often you get that. But I do find, too, sometimes they do say that. And then at the end, they kind of go, okay, now that it's gone, can you tell me what it was? <laughs> like, <laughs> so there is a curiosity that comes with it a little bit that I think is, I, I think it's just very natural, and I, I love those human moments that people have. Um, so I'm, I'm always happy to kind of give them the the calm version of whatever it is I may find so that they don't, you know, get a little freaked out afterwards. But um, from there, essentially what I do is I do a psychic walkthrough. I try and figure out um, what kind of haunting or, or different kinds of hauntings that they may have. Um, in, the, in the book, I go over that we have about four main hauntings and those are going to be um human earthbound which is like you know a ghost a a person who has died and stayed here um you have a residual haunting which is when like a memory or an event kind of gets embedded in the space and and replays and then we have a poltergeist 
which a lot of people are shocked to find out is not actually a, a mischievous ghost. It's actually uh, caused by living people who are throwing off in- enormous amounts of psychic energy. Um, right. And then, of course, we have the inhuman entity, which a lot of people immediately go to like demons when they hear that term, but it can also be all kinds of things like uh, land spirits. And I, I ran into fairies before, which is very weird, but um, depending on that, I end up um, figuring out which one it is and then making a plan from there essentially. So what is the most common uh, type of uh, entity that you find um, when you do say, someone's home, a residential home? It's generally going to be a few things. It's hard to say that there's a lot of routine because everyone's hauntings are very different, but I would say probably the most common, yeah, the most common would probably be human earthbound. Um, Even if they're not necessarily the cause of the haunting or the activity that's um, distressing the family, they're usually around. So even if like I'm dealing with something completely different, sometimes I'll be doing a psychic walkthrough and find, you know, some person who's passed on in their kitchen making a sandwich or something like not bothering anybody, but also there. Um, also kind of, um, you know, house entities, um, particularly just like a common um, negative entity, people will have those fairly frequently. Um, they're not generally a problem. They can be a little scary, but we do find those more often than you would think. Yeah. Something else that your book does a really good job with um, is besides reading and giving information, you also um, can do to kind of understand better, like you've got exercises on grounding and centering. Um, I, I really particularly enjoyed um, your section on auras uh, and how to um, do maintenance and you talk about energy and visualization, uh, making, I wrote here, you make a protection charm. Um, talk a little bit about the exercises as the things to do in your book that I thought were really clever. Absolutely. So a, a lot of the book centers around utilizing mental magic, which is mm-hmm. kind of you know, moving, directing energy using just ourselves, just our minds and our will and our intention and some of our mental uh, skills like visualization. Um, And in a lot of these, um, we're going to be utilizing a lot of our own personal energy or energy from other places. So what I start off by doing is teaching you psychic skills for doing things like grounding so that you can connect with like earth energy and utilize that. Um, And then we kind of build on that to talk about shielding ourselves psychically, which is really important in this work, especially if you are doing intuitive work in a haunted place. Intuitive work is always a little bit innately dangerous in these scenarios, because in order to um, do psychic work, you do have to kind of take little steps of the energy into you. So making sure, you know, we're able to filter properly so that not too much gets in, that we're very safe. So we go through that. And then, um, the, the auras as well that you were talking about where we talk about fixing your aura because your aura is essentially what creates your psychic shield. So if we have a big right. hole in it or, or part of it is, is broken or whatever, um, we can take time to fix it and patch it up and make sure that we're completely ready to have the interactions with spirit that we need to. Absolutely. Yeah, and I like that. And you said if you've had a, you know, a bad experience or if you've had a bad fight with someone, then you mm-hmm. may likely have a hole 
or have an area that could drain and you should and you give tips on how to fix that. Yeah, I really, really um I really in, in, enjoyed that. And you also um talked about um pendulum and dowsing, which I thought was really interesting. Tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. So the pendulum dowsing section was really important for me to add because when I talk about the work that I do, from my perspective, a lot of it is just um, psychic impressions that I'm receiving. And uh-huh. when I talk about that, a lot of people become very concerned that they won't be able to do that because they're not wired the same way. And so I wanted to embed a way kind of around that or to um, kind of make a, a more direct connection that people won't have to worry about, okay, well, I wasn't you know, X level of psychic or whatever. Um, so what we do is we do uh, pendulum dousing, which allows us to ask yes, no, maybe questions and deduce information from there. So instead of, if, if you're worried that you can't walk into a home and just feel what spirits are there, you can get out your pendulum and you can start mm-hmm. asking it like, okay, first of all, is this house haunted? And then maybe it will say yes. And then you can ask it like, um, are there any negative entities here? And it might say no. Um, and then you can kind of figure out what's going on in the home and diagnose using the pendulum, which is really helpful. And people will start to notice, too, that eventually they won't need it so much because they'll start to realize that they already can feel it. And the pendulum helps them kind of just create that connection, and eventually they'll be able to do it without it as well. And you also have um, very strong opinions about a Ouija board, uh, which is funny. Um, I have a Ouija board. I have actually several little things. Because when I grew up, I'm much older than you, when I grew up, that was like real faddish. Um, but it's not something I ever use. But, um, I, and I, again, in the book you talk about, I've heard people say, oh, it's fine, it's harmless. And I've heard other people say, no, stay away from it. Um, tell our listeners what you think about a Ouija board. Yeah, I think it's so funny because you hear people say all the time things like, oh, well, a Ouija board is no different from like a pendulum or tarot cards. And while I understand what they're trying to say, something that I think that they're ignoring is the method of use. Because when you have people who are doing like pendulums, for instance, which is going to probably be the closer thing between tarot cards and and a Ouija board would kind of be like a pendulum would be closer. I think um, I've never met, I've never seen somebody pull out a, a pendulum at a slumber party, you know, right. um, you know, or on Halloween or, you know, during some sort of situation like that. And so whenever I see people using pendulums, they're, they're always kind of, you know, new age individuals who are, you know, ready to connect with their higher selves or things like that. It's, it's, it's a very different environment. Whereas a Ouija board gets pulled out again at something like a slumber party. And they're used to scare people. They're used to as kind of like a, ooh, we're going to do this spooky thing. There's this whole culture around it that creates a different energy. And the situations you find yourself using them in, depending on who you are, um, is often very different. So, for instance, you know, pulling them out at like a party or something like that, if people Mm -hmm. have been drinking or, you know, those things, the situations that they get used in a lot are very different than something like a pendulum or something like an EVP that's often being used by investigators who are there with a united goal and also not afraid. So the the environment itself is different. But then you get into the actual use. Um, and something that I talk about in the book is this idea of agreements. 
that these entities, in order to interact with us or uh, haunt us, essentially, they need to form an agreement with us. And we can give mm-hmm. permission or, or agree to things in a lot of different ways that we wouldn't expect. So, for instance, when people get out of Ouija board, they often start off with something like, is there anything out there that would like to communicate with us? Absolutely. Well, that's I a very big. Absolutely. We didn't, you know, we didn't try to call on Elvis or anybody thing, but seriously, and we were probably very, very lucky that nobody bothered us. Uh, we weren't interesting enough. But absolutely, I can remember definitely, you know, calling for, you know, anyone close by, basically, come on in. I mean, yeah, we were lucky. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so, like, you know, a lot of times it's people who are utilizing these will be, you know, younger people as well. You know, maybe they've seen a movie. So they don't know that things like, you know, specificity is really important when it comes to spirit communication. And also, you know, especially when it comes to young people as well, you have – a bigger chance of someone like challenging a spirit to a fight, which is also an agreement, you know, that they can interact with you in that sense. And that can get very dangerous very quickly. Um, But in different agreements too, as well. So we start off with the invitation, which is a huge net to cast that creates this huge agreement with anything that's nearby that it's welcome in. You then ask it, of course, to move the pointer and right. people believe generally that there's about two camps when it comes to the movement of the planchette, whether it is uh, the spirit is moving the planchette itself and we're simply following it, or there's another camp that really believes that there's something about that we're moving it, but the spirit is in some way or another influencing us to do it. And if mm-hmm. we believe the second one as our primary you know, thing that's in our brain while we're doing that and giving it that permission, we're giving it permission to influence us or exert a certain amount of influence over us um, in order to move our bodies in certain ways and see how that right. gets very slippery very quickly. And that's not something that we deal with in, you know, EVPs or things like that. So while I do think that these can all be safe and they can all be dangerous, I just think that there are certain factors people aren't always taking into consideration with a Ouija board. And the difficulty is that they're very safe as long as you know what you're doing, but many people think they know what they're doing, and that's where the the hang-up is a lot of the time. Right. And I think things gather energy over time, and Ouija boards have been in movies, and they've, you know, been Mm -hmm. in such a net of light for a long time. And whether intentional or not, I think some of the energy – you know, goes to a Ouija board. So, yeah, I agree. I think that's something you should just not, um, not uh, mm-hmm. fool with. So, that's an, and I Certainly. don't think they're as popular as they used to be. I mean, they were very, very popular, like in the seventies and eighties. But I don't think they're very popular anymore, are they? You know, I I see sometimes them making a comeback across social media, um, but they they tend to be more of kind of a, a decorative thing nowadays. I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'd be curious to see if we have a a resurgence. Hmm. So so tell me if um if I meet a spirit or you know I'm in my home and I feel like there's a spirit. Um, you did a really good job of talking about kind of do's and don'ts and approaching and talking to a spirit. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. So that's something that I get a lot when people, uh, or the question that I get a lot is people going, okay, 
I think there's a ghost. What do I do? And I think right. the first thing that we really need to remember is, you know, ghosts are people. They just simply don't have a body. You know, people think that, right. you know, they become this very different thing as soon as they die. But really, they're just very normal people. Um, and so I always tell people, you know, react as if, you know, you, you have somebody wander into your house. You'd probably be like, okay, hi. <laughs> what's going on you know so you know (laughs) yeah feel free to say hello ask it what's going on sometimes they have answers for you um sometimes they're just kind of lost or just kind of wanted to check out your space it all kind of depends on what you're working with but um just say hi ask them if there's something that they want um and if you've moved into a spot which is the the reason for the question i get most is like okay i've moved into Mm -hmm. a new place and I think it's haunted, um, what do I do? Or they're like, I don't necessarily want it to leave, but it's doing things that I don't like. And so mm-hmm. I always recommend setting ground rules. You can communicate to spirits like, hey, you know, if you want to stay, that's fine, but you're going to do that. Make sure to uh, not bother the children because you're freaking them out. That's something that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Or um, can you stay out of my bedroom at night? Or, you know, make sure to stay out of certain areas during intimate moments or whatever it is that you may want to set boundaries around. And I find that they tend to do a pretty good job of respecting boundaries. Um, If they don't, of course, you can always take further steps. But I think that that's a great start. And I've always had them do a pretty good job of respecting any and all boundaries that I put out. Like, I'm like, okay, don't bother me at these times. If you need my attention, go about it this way. They tend to do a pretty good job of following it. So feel free to set ground rules and change them if you need to as well. And, and again, I like how you start that is basically be very respectful. Yeah. Yeah. And polite. Like you would They're just people. Somebody. Yeah. So do a lot of people end up um, living with the spirit and it kind of goes okay or I mean, do you find that some people can do that or are they just frightened and want it to leave or what's been your experience? Um, it kind of depends. So from well, an investigative well, perspective, um, I, I find a lot of people tend to want them to leave. But as right, far as a day-to-day right. perspective, I do have a lot of people tell me stories about ghosts that they have that they like or a lot of times I'll be like, oh, it's like there's this older woman that you know, kind of haunts my house a little bit and I only feel her sometimes or maybe I'll smell her perfume. So I do think quite a few people live perfectly fine with their spirits. But if they're at the point where they're calling a paranormal team like mine, usually right. they're they're ready to have it gone or, or it's doing something that they really don't like. So are you, tell us, and you do a good job too of the book talking about, because um, again, the only exposure I have really had is, you know, watching a TV show. Um, but you said people on the team typically have different jobs. Tell us a little bit about the different jobs or different types of people you would see on an investigative team. Oh, definitely. So there's there's a bunch of different roles to fill on a team. And it's funny that when people think of parallel investigation, they immediately think, you know, oh, going out to these places and taking measurements and all this stuff. But what they don't think about is how much things like uh, paperwork is involved right. and website maintenance and um, right. all of those things that's involved as well that need to get done, you know, scheduling meetings and stuff. So there are many different jobs. Um, the first thing that you're going to need to find is going to be a case manager. 
um, this is going to be one of your most important people that you have because what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, handle the paperwork. They're going to keep the paperwork and files. They're going to um, generally be your first point of contact. They're the person that gets called or emailed when people go, mm-hmm. hey, I think I need you guys to come out. Um, they also schedule everybody else the days to go and out to do that. And let me right. tell you, getting a group of people together on one day at a correct time that everybody can make it is more difficult than you would think. So having someone who kind of handles that portion, brilliant. Uh, if you find a great case manager, never let them go. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, someone who's team lead, like a lead investigator who's going to be able right. to kind of formulate a plan, give everybody else their jobs, just kind of keep everything running, absolutely helpful. And then we have, um, of course, our investigators who are the backbone of, you know, the, the team. They're out there taking the measurements, doing EVP sessions, trying to gather evidence. Um, and a lot of these jobs will cross over. So, for instance, your case manager may also be one of your investigators, or they right. may be, you know, the leader and an investigator, or all three. Um, so sometimes your people overlap. Um, you also, I highly recommend having psychics. I know a lot of teams shy away from it, but I think, I think doing paranormal investigation without a psychic is a little bit like going to study a foreign country and, and not bringing a translator with you, um, someone who can help you kind of do the communication. Um, I find that to be very helpful. So um, having at least one psychic along, and I also recommend mostly because it's what I do on my team, um, having an occult specialist. So Mm -hmm. someone with magical experience who can, you know, maybe identify some things or, or work some spells or, you know, if you find a weird symbol in the basement, let you know Mm -hmm. if it's a cult or not. Um, having someone like that or someone you can call like that tends to be very helpful. That, that's interesting. So it's funny. You said a lot of teams shy away from the spiritual end. Is that because they're so afraid of not being taken serious and they want it so scientific? You know, I, I do find that teams who shy away from it very much lean into the scientific a lot harder. Um, yeah. And I understand why they do that, and I, I, do, I do respect that. But I, I think we need to have a certain amount of honesty with ourselves about what type of evidence is really going to move the needle with the general public. Um, because I think right now the bar is set for debunking so low, it's just, you know, if it could have been faked at all, then we don't take this evidence. And, you know, I, if you've seen the last Avengers movie where, like, New York is destroyed by aliens or whatever, like, we can take uh-huh. anything at this point. So I think right. we might need to shift our focus a little bit away from the, the scientific and more towards what we can do as far as helping spirits and, and whatnot. Hmm. I know in your chapter, too, you have a chapter on doorways, portals, and I think highways. Can you tell me? I don't really understand a portal. Can you under, can you explain that for me? Absolutely. Um, so portals are they're a lot more common than you would think, and they're often the reason why hauntings can be difficult to clear up. Um, I find mm-hmm. a lot of times when people are co- are contacting me and they're like, you know, oh gosh, like you know, I tried to clean this house out, you know, four or five times, and it's fine mm-hmm. for a little bit, and then it starts up again. And my immediate question there is like, okay, 
do you have a portal? Because if there's an open doorway into your house that things are coming through, then you need to find it and you need to close it. So that's one of the things I do during my psychic walkthrough initially is try and see, okay, are there any portals that I'm picking up in here? Because that will be um, something I need to address. But you have kind of three different types of portals. You have ones that kind of pour mm -hmm. into the home, ones that pour out of the home, and then ones that kind of go both directions. Um, and you can kind of tell if you have a portal a little bit if your haunting is irregular. So if, if it's always the same spirit every single time, you probably don't have a portal. But if it's, you know, the woman in white and then she goes away and then there's, you know, the old man with the cigars and then, you know, it kind of changes characters or, mm -hmm. or behavior then you may have spirits coming and going, which means that there's probably some sort of transportation there, like a portal. Um, and so you'll need to figure out, you know, if it's pouring in, you're going to definitely need to close it. Um, if it's pouring out, you may want to leave it open because that's going to give whatever's in the house right now a clear exit, and then you can close it when you're done. Um, but if it, if it goes both directions, you can kind of do something that I call a one-way cap, which is where you make it mm -hmm. so that things can leave, but they can't come back through into the home. Which So it kind of makes it just an outward-facing one um, that can be helpful for a little bit. So there, there's a lot of things that you can do with portals. And, again, I teach this without tools, so I teach people to kind of do, um, you know, change the directions that portals are facing, you know, close them, open them, all, all kinds of things like that in the book that I think is going to be really helpful for a lot of folks to know what to do when they're faced with that and also how to find a portal as well. So that's all included in the book. Um, and of course we have highways, which are very weird when you come across them. They, to me, they're a little bit like for ghosts, what, um, I'm going to make a Finding Nemo reference here real quick. The, the East That's Australian okay. current that they jump on and it, and it takes them to Australia or whatever. It's a little bit like that for spirits. So a few things will create a highway. So like underground water flowing like beneath your house will often create one of these highways running through it because energy follows water. And spirits will get on these little highways because it kind of carries them like a current and they can just move easier that way. And so if your home is built in the middle of that, you you may accidentally sort of become a bus stop a little bit. Um, and so we talk about those in the book and kind of the, the things that can, that can create them and uh, what to do about it. So can you, um, when you go through a home, since you're so sensitive, can you feel portals? I mean, is that something that you can actually feel is it like, I mean what does it feel like is it like a bigger energy opening or yeah so what it feels like I, I, I do feel them which is always um, it's always an interesting interesting thing to try and explain a psychic feeling um, but when I pick them up they're usually vertical so they're usually on a wall um, okay. somewhere in the home. Sometimes I have found them in the ground, but that's much less common. Um, uh -huh. And sometimes they're kind of just like hanging in space, but those are, are much less common. Usually when I find them, they're on some sort of a wall. And I, I do believe sometimes they can be created by like 
there used to be a door here that was then mm-hmm. sealed over. I do think sometimes that can create them. So I'm, I'm wondering sometimes if that might be why they tend to be in walls, but well, you never know, to be true. Um, but they do feel they feel big, they feel very bright, um, and they have emotion to them. So they're, they're a whirlpool action. So I can feel them spinning is what I can feel mostly. And I can often feel which direction they're spinning, which can also help me um, work with them as well, kind of either going with the momentum or against it. Um, if you can't feel it that way, you can also utilize your pendulum to show you which direction it's spinning as well, which is kind of like a a hack for that. But they do feel like big kind of swirling vortexes to me. So they're, they're pretty hard to miss. They also make a little bit of a sound kind of like a, um, like a washing machine. Wow. Um, How did people react? I would, I would totally, (laughs) I would, um, I would be unnerved if I thought I had a spirit ahead to call you in. I would be hysterical if you told me I had a portal. <laughs> it sounds so. When I read it in the book, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that would be terrible. How do people react with that? Oh, you're right. That is something that you definitely don't hear every day. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's where too. That's a great point because in in the book, I have this whole section about you know working with clients, and one of the sections I titled you know the power of tact. Because you do right. have to communicate a lot of kind of unnerving things to people. You know, you, words yep. like, you know, entity or, you know, or, right. or portal really, you know, strike some fear into people a lot of the time. So I found that there is an art to kind of talking with people to make sure that you are explaining it in a way that is honest, but also trying to avoid some scary words, um, being very quick to explain um, whether or not they should be concerned about it is very mm-hmm. helpful. So usually if I'm like, you know what, I found a portal, so I'm going to get that closed up for you. Like, right. yep, that's that a thing, but don't you worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, a, is a great way to kind of present it to them. Like, hey, there is this thing, but don't you worry. It's going to be fine. And especially if it's something like a portal, it's like, yep, we can absolutely close that. It seems scary. But it's we're, we're going to be okay. Is <laughs> a good way to kind of come at it always. Um, I understood in the book you have a section on how to close a portal, which I totally understand. But if I remember, you also had a section about opening a portal. Why in the world would I ever open a portal? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely some 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 reasons why you may want to. So there's. And, of course, there's different kinds of portals, and there's portals to different places as well. So in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the Earthbound Human Spirit chapter, we talk about opening the light so that a human spirit can cross over. And it's very right. simple to do, and that's technically opening a portal, um, but it's a very oh, um, sort of, yeah, it's a very innocuous version of it. It's very less scary because we don't call it a portal. You know, we call it the light which makes it feel a a lot different. Um, But I was taught to make portals early on. And so I I got my Reiki master certification when I was 16. Um, Mm -hmm. And all the way back then, I remember um, being taught by one of my mentors that they're like, you know, sometimes you're pulling stuff out of people, like a lot of stuff out of people, depending on who it is that you're working on. And you sometimes need a place to send it. 
So I was taught to open portals that had um, like grounding cords essentially attached to them. This is kind of where they were going to act as um, energetic trash cans in a little bit of way so that they had kind of some some vacuum power to them. So as if I came across someone who just had, um, in, in my mind, a lot of the times when I'm doing energy work, I'll see them as black stones. So maybe I'll right. come across that somebody with sense. a bunch of black stones in their belly yeah. and you have to kind of shovel them out um, and, and empty them out of there and you need a space to send them. So um, I, I sometimes create little portals to kind of just vacuum them up and, and give me a place to, to send it. That's not just sitting in my house. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So um, your team, do you go out a lot? Do you, do you, um, I mean, is it constant people are calling you, or is it like maybe once or twice a month? How often in your area are you getting calls? You know, it kind of depends on what's happening. So over the last couple of years, we've been pretty dormant because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and kind of figuring out what to do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We we were still taking cases, and that was an interesting – that was an interesting exercise for us because we had to do it all from a distance. And my team is predominantly psychics and energy workers. So Uh we were up to the challenge on it, um, but we hadn't had to until then. Um, So we were still taking cases, but before the pandemic, we were going out once, twice a month for a while, especially during the summers um, when it was easier with the weather. So we were going out, pretty frequently and we only really get called when people need their hauntings fixed we we do do some investigations but we tend to do what we call resolves predominantly um kind of to to resolve the haunting in your experience of what you have actually worked with have you worked with like earthbound spirits or um Poltergeist. Talk about what a poltergeist is. That was interesting, too. Talk about the differences. Yeah. So a lot of times people think that a poltergeist is like either an unruly or or an agitated human spirit um, Uh that's causing issues. And I I find the two very different because that's, for me, very much, you know, an earthbound spirit is an earthbound spirit. Um, whether it's agitated or not. Um, and, and I do see why people would think that because the name poltergeist, you know, it means noisy ghost. So it makes a lot of sense. But right. essentially what a poltergeist is, is it somebody in the home that is under pressure, enough pressure that it's causing them to throw off enormous amounts of psychic energy. And that is causing activity. So it's a little bit like when you have static electricity build up eventually it Mm -hmm. has to go somewhere. It has to do something. It has to throw a spark to kind of relieve itself. And that's essentially what a poltergeist is. Um, So a lot of the times people think that poltergeists are caused only by um, young uh, female children or pubescent Mm -hmm. girls um, is kind of the, the textbook candidate for a poltergeist agent or the one who's causing it. And they, they do tend to do that. Um, they, I find there are higher instances in that demographic, but it's definitely not the end of the road for poltergeist agents. Grown adults definitely do it. 
Um, men absolutely can be poltergeist agents as well, and I have seen that happen before, um, especially people who, again, are are facing some sort of a pressure on them. So uh, people who are military veterans and adults um, will sometimes be poltergeist agents due to that stress as well. Um, but um, I do find that poltergeist activity caused by children and poltergeist activity caused by adults is very different because mm-hmm. children, the poltergeist activity tends to be very um, mischievous, sometimes playful. Um, they may, you know, pull pranks or write rude words on the walls right. with, you know, food or ketchup or something like that. Right. But uh, those created by adults tend to be a little bit more sinister. I feel like just because adults tend to have a little bit more baggage um, mm-hmm. to them and the things that are causing pressure on adults tend to be a lot scarier than something like um, maybe like academic pressure that might be causing it in children. Um, then again, too, whole groups of people can create them. I did work with a family once that was suffering from a very intense poltergeist haunting and um, being in the same room with that family, they could barely talk without immediately getting into an argument with one another. And this kind of dysfunction was creating so much chaotic energy that it was causing its own haunting. It was all of them and their dysfunction that was causing it. So there's a few different ways you can get a poltergeist, but essentially it's caused by people, not, you know, the dead or or ghosts in any sort of way. Oh, that's so interesting. So what is the most, in your personal work, what is the most common type of haunting or what have you actually had the most dealings with? Um, you know, I find them all to be fairly common equally. I do feel like we have more um, earthbound human spirits that kind of show uh-huh. up for various reasons or, or things that are connected to them. So sometimes you have um, something that we call fracturing, which is when a spirit goes through the light, but they leave part of themselves behind. So for instance, uh-huh. um, someone may be suffering from severe depression in life and when they cross through the the light their depression gets left behind because it's something that is not um, innate to them as a spirit it is something that they acquired in this life and so their depression gets left behind and sometimes it can be left behind as a spirit um, because Mm -hmm. it's it's so much a part of them. It's so big that when, when it gets left behind, it's almost like a, like a like shadow of them. And so a lot of the times it's either an earthbound spirit or something like, like a big piece of them that's been left behind. Um, for me personally, as far as what I deal with the most, um, I deal mostly with negative entities. That's kind of my job on the team. Mm-hmm. So anytime they're like, yeah, so it seems like there's like, you know, the earthbound spirit of a child upstairs and there's Satan in the basement. So we're going to send Jay down into the basement. I'm like, that not- great, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, awesome, I'll go deal with whatever fresh hell this is. Um, so that's kind of my job on the team is dealing with negative entities. So that, that's what I run into kind of the most. Have you, um, have you ran into something that severely scared you, even though you're experienced? Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely have. Um, I think that the paranormal, and I I tell people this in the book as well, that it's a very dangerous thing to think, let alone say, 
that I've seen everything in the paranormal. Because as soon as you do, the paranormal has got news for you. And it will turn itself inside out in a way that you did not think was possible. Um, there, there have been a few where I will definitely say that I would much rather deal with any sort of negative entity than an upset forest spirit. Those wow. get very scary very quickly. And I am not a fan. I saw the Blair Witch Project once, and I do not need to live through it again. <laughs> It's very weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's funny. You say in your book, too, because um, I thought of myself, I, I tend to get scared pretty easy. Um, and you said, you know, if just reading this book basically makes you frightened, maybe paranormal investigation is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, if you're watching the scary movie through your fingers, maybe we don't sign up for this right away. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so since you've worked with spirits, and you get, do you get, um, have you gotten any impressions on when we die, what it might be like on the other side? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a great question, actually. So I got that sense mostly through, so there's, there's kind of different kinds of mediumship. The, what I do during paranormal investigation is very different than kind of sitting down with somebody and, and seeing if I can connect with their loved ones, which I also do. Right. But it's a very different process, and it's a very different experience. But during my kind of one-on-one mediumship, I get a very interesting um, sense of what it is like over there. And one of the ways that I know that I am, that I am connecting is I, first and foremost, get completely overwhelmed with this sense of love. And it's such That's a so weird good. thing when it happens. Like, because I'm like, oh, I'm just sitting here, but like, you know, things are really good suddenly. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm always so shocked that everyone who comes through is doing great. Like, do not worry about the dead on the other side. Like, they're having the best time. And like, that's why I love kind of doing that, because when you connect with it, it's very... um, it's very healing for me to do it. It can be kind of exhausting, but it's also very healing. And I can kind of feel their love for the person I'm reading coming through me as kind of like a, a channel a little bit. Um, but sometimes they show me kind of like where they are or um, what it looks like for them. And I do find it's kind of different depending on which spirit that I'm, that I'm working with, but often they're not alone. They're often with other people that they knew or they'll bring other people out and things like that as well. So as in my experience, even when they have like regrets or things that they're like, Hey, during this reading, I I do need to clear up this thing that happened. You know, even, even when they have those things, they're still doing great. Like, and you know, even if they have, you know, regret or kind of like, you know, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. um, They're okay. And I think that that's something that's really beautiful to know is that they're they're doing all right. That is that is nice. So can um, come and go as they want, or only certain people can connect with us? Oh yeah. So spirits. So assuming that we're talking about spirits that have like kind of already crossed through the light. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. that's one of the reasons too why they'll be worried about crossing through the light or why they've stayed here on the side is because they'll be like, well, I want to watch over 
you know, this person right. or you I want to wait for book. my right. wife or, yeah. And so what they don't realize is that once they have crossed through the light, they can come back, um, but they're, they're different when they come back. They're, they're healed. They left, they've left behind certain things like, you know, depression or addiction or mental illness, things like that. All of that gets left behind. And so they're kind of purified in a way as they go through. And then when they come back, they seem a lot stronger. They're, um, I perceive them differently. So when they've gone through the light, I see them like surrounded by the light. Like there's a big light behind them is how they look to me after they've done that. Um, so there's a definite change, but they can come back. They can interact with our world. Um, I do find it's a little bit different how they interact. Um, for instance, when they're here, it tends to be a little bit more like um, direct action, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, oh, I'm going to knock over this can or, or whatever, it, versus when they've crossed over, it's a lot more things like um, helping to shape your life path or like certain coincidences mm-hmm. that are going to lead you a certain mm-hmm. direction. So their their interaction is a little bit different from the other side, but they definitely can um, come and go and interact and watch over from that side um, without needing to stay here. That's great. Do you have some final, final um, words, hints, um, things? What is something you would like people to take away from your um, book? Oh, I would like people to take away that paranormal investigation is not like you see it on TV and that witches definitely need to be there. And also one of my most important rules that I put in there that I think every paranormal investigator should follow is my personal motto, paranormal starts with P. So before you do the investigating, go to the bathroom. It's very important. It's it's the first step. Exactly. (laughs) So do you have, again, I love this book. This book was excellent. So you're an excellent writer. Do you have another book in the works or what, what are you doing next for us? Um, I am writing uh, adamantly. I'm not quite sure exactly what is going to be the next one to come out, but I definitely don't think this is going to be the last that you hear from me. Oh, that's great. So so you have you always written? Is that something that you've just always been part of your life too? Mm, yes, definitely. I used to write scary stories when I was a kid and then, um, you know, kind of, grew up and then started writing different things and eventually doing the witchcraft books. So I've kind of always written and it's something that I really enjoy. Isn't that funny? Now I find this interesting because I've interviewed a lot of creative people. Are you someone who, when you write, do you have a schedule or do you write when the mood hits you? How do you, how do you get to write a book? You know, for me, I like to start mostly when the mood hits me after that, then I tend to, sort of keep to a schedule. I mean, I'm me like any writer, you know, we tend to avoid it a little bit if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like to kind of keep a little bit of a schedule or at least what I've found out recently is that I need to be a morning writer. Cause when I'm writing in the morning, I actually write when I try to write in the evening, I just stare at my laptop. So I, I yeah. end up uh, making sure I have, I have morning time available and that's very helpful. Oh, that's great. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Um, and, again, I know um, several other people, so I'll probably be buying some for gifts that would also really enjoy it. So um, thank you so much for coming on tonight and talking to us about your book, The Witch's Guide to the Paranormal. Um, and, again, give us t- 
tell us what your Instagram is so folks can look you up there. Absolutely. So my Instagram is at Oregon underscore wood underscore witch. So it's Oregon wood witch. Make sure it's all spelled correctly. There are a few people who are flipping a zero in there instead of an O and then (laughs) trying to scam people. So make sure you go to Oregon underscore wood underscore witch. And thank you very much for having me tonight. This is my first call-in show that I've done, and I'm having the most wonderful 90s flashbacks. Oh, you're so funny. Well, that uh, well, we loved having you. Like I to meet authors when I love their book, and I really, really loved your book. So I look forward. You have an open invitation to come back, and you definitely need to come back when you have your next book. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, besides Jay, I want to thank David and Jeanette, our sound engineers, for their technical expertise. And finally, I want to thank all of you out there, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, or CSNB. Join us November 1st for another episode of Circle Talk. We look forward to being with you all again, so please come back. Good night, everyone. Be safe and blessed be.
Are we 